travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 16, and today we're taking on digital nomads. What are digital nomads, you ask? Well, according to Wikipedia, they are individuals who leverage telecommunications technologies to perform their work duties and more generally conduct their lifestyles in a nomadic manner. But the point here is that technology over the last decade has developed at a furious pace. It's changed the way we live, travel, and work. And it's really made businesses and lifestyles possible that weren't just a decade ago. So today we're going to chat with two guests about how they've embraced technology to make it a working travel lifestyle for themselves. So this is Scott Coates in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and as always is my trusty co-host. Trevor Ranges here. Uh, today I am recording from Siem Reap, Cambodia, but in true digital nomad style, I guess, I will also be conducting one of these interviews from Bangkok, Thailand. Well done, and we are going to meet very soon. Yeah, we are. You're coming over here to Cambodia. We're going to meet up in Phnom Penh for Christmas. Yeah, just a few days. So uh, this is a pretty cool topic, and I love the fact that uh, you're in a new city, and we're going to be moving around, and we've done this from all kinds of different locations to make this one happen. Yeah, it's kind of cool that we're getting to talk about digital nomads because, to some extent, we're kind of digital nomads ourselves. Um, and it's kind of cool that I'm in Cambodia this week because our sponsor this week is Siem Reap Dirt Bikes. Uh, yeah, great. I know you enjoy dirt biking, and uh, most of my experience biking has been here in Cambodia. And uh, our sponsor is Siem Reap Dirt Bikes. They offer some awesome off-the-beaten-track motorbike adventure tours in the most rem remote areas of Cambodia taking you to places that others don't go. CM Reap Dirt Bikes offers some day trip excursions, but primarily they focus on multi-day adventures to more remote areas of Cambodia, focusing more on fun terrain and some awesome off-the-beaten-path adventures. Yeah, well, I've jumped on dirt bikes for like a day here, a day there. Nothing as serious as I've done in, say, northern Thailand. And I know you and I are planning to... Uh, visit Priya Khan in the center of the country before the rainy season. That's our promise. And we're going to be using dirt bikes. And I think the good friends at CM Reap Dirt Bikes are going to help us. So thanks so much to them for sponsoring. So, I mean, Trevor, how have you utilized and embraced technology for yourself, say, in the last decade? Well, you know, for coming on a decade now, I've been predominantly employed as a freelance travel writer. Um, and I'm based in Bangkok most of the time, as, as most people know. But, you know, sometimes I'm working in Cambodia. I was studying my MBA in Vietnam. Sometimes I'm working in Bali or Laos. And, uh, you know, I've experienced firsthand the benefits and the drawbacks of living the nomadic lifestyle. Um, but I'm also old enough to have traveled in the days before smartphones and the Internet. And I can't imagine how I could have lived this lifestyle without the modern technology that we have today. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it is funny how when you have something, you forget what it was like without it. I mean, I moved to Thailand in September 1999 to start a travel company. I remember my business partner and I, we bought a desktop computer. 
we had dial-up internet and we had to go buy like a prepaid scratch card from the 7-Eleven. And then I distinctly remember something called Dialpad coming out and it offered free phone calls anywhere in the world or not anywhere in the world, but certain countries. And I just didn't believe it would work. I thought, how can this thing work? And I called my buddy in San Francisco and it did. And now like fast forward in Bangkok where I was living then, now you have high speed internet. We have Skype that, I mean, Gosh, you can use it on your mobile phone, not even your laptop. We have PayPal, which we use to manage payments for our travel company. You have voice over internet protocol. I mean, you can literally just take a business mobile. And like a decade ago, was not possible. No, absolutely not. And again, like as, as a travel writer, I mean, there were travel writers traveling the world and working uh, remotely because that's the nature of our business. But now, I mean, there, there's two different terms, I guess. There's digital nomads and there's location independent professionals or location independent entrepreneurs. And now I think it, it really is kind of these digital professionals, people working on the internet doing web pages or web development or online sales or online marketing or online consulting. It seems like you could have all different variety of professions and still not be fixed to an office. Yeah, absolutely. I think the possibilities are almost endless and the world's sort of your oyster. Yeah, I mean, yeah, young people and even older entrepreneurs seem to be able to utilize this technology to, to travel around. And Asia seems to be a really popular place uh, for people to do it. First, we'll chat with Gary Arndt. He's been a digital nomad since 2007. He sold his business in 1998 to a multinational. Then in 1999, they sent him on a whirlwind trip to their various offices around the world, which got him thinking about traveling. In 2007, he got serious, sold his house, put his personal items in storage, and has been traveling the globe ever since. He's been to seven continents, 170 countries, Today, he's an accomplished photographer despite not having pro photo skills when he set off on his new life. And Time Magazine ranked his website as one of the top 25 blogs in the world in 2010. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thanks for having me. Hey, Gary. How you doing? This is Trevor here. Uh, where are you at right now? Currently, I am in Girona, Spain, uh, which is approximately, it's about 60 miles north of Barcelona. And between Barcelona and the French border... A little bit of ways from the coastline. Uh, how long are you going to spend there? I'll be here another month. I've been here about a month and a half already. And then I'll be, so we're recording this just before Christmas. And I'll be here probably till the end of January. And then I'll be off to uh, photograph the Rocky Mountains in Alberta. And then I go on a trip to Haiti. Sweet. Alberta is my home. I'm originally from Calgary. And actually, when I was looking at your site today, I uh, saw some nice mountain shots from there, which made me a little bit nostalgic for home at Christmas. Yeah, I spent about a month in Calgary or uh, in Alberta uh, this summer. I did a great big road trip and I literally drove the entire length of the province and uh, had to spend a couple days shooting the Calgary Stampede as well. Wonderful. You've probably seen more of my province than I have, Gary. Yeah, I've been to all the national parks in it so far. Well, that's pretty impressive. It's it's great to travel, and, and, and I'm not sure how much of the year you spend traveling. Uh, where are you based out of, and, and how often are you on the road? Uh, I, I am based nowhere. I literally travel full-time. I have no regular house or apartment of any sort. Scott would say living the dream. Yeah, living the dream. So if someone wants to get a piece of mail to you, how do they do it, Gary? Uh, I think the best thing would be to digitize it and send me an email. Um, I have, I have things sent yeah. to my mother's house and I'll use that as a mailing address and I get back there maybe, I don't know, twice a year. 
uh, and then it just kind of piles up. Sure. And when I'm there, I'll, I'll go through it. But other than that, yeah, if you want to get me something physical, it, it pretty much is not either not going to happen or you're going to have to go through some trouble to do it. Sure. Well, uh, looking on your website, I mean, you kicked off this big kind of whirlwind journey in 2007. Uh, in the early years when you were traveling, what jobs did you land to earn money and keep things going for those first few years? I lived off savings. Uh, I had sold a business uh, several years prior and I also sold my house. So <clears throat> for about the first four or five years I was traveling, I really just lived off uh, what I had saved up. I, I didn't make a lot of money from my website or from my photography. I was basically, once I made the decision to turn this into a business, I've been focused on the long term. And uh, that was primarily in building up my audience and kind of building up my authority as a, as a, a travel industry person. Wow, so ever since then you've been living on the road. Yep, I sold uh, the, the keys to my house. I turned them over on March 13th, 2011, and I've been on the road ever since. So it's easy, I, I think, Gary, for people to look at a website like yours and just say, oh, well, I mean, this person was given some gift or it just happened and they're, they're magically making their living traveling the world. But what was kind of the turning point in your mind where things went from been sa spending your savings and, and trying to make this happen to you kind of going, whoa, well, hang on. Maybe I actually have a full-time business here. What was that kind of point or moment? I was nine months into my travels already. And I, it basically took me nine months to kind of cross okay. the Pacific. And I was in Hong Kong. And this was in, I think, uh, late November, early December 2007. And I had several internet companies that I had started previously. One was a, a network of video games. And we had about... 50 million page views across our network at its peak in a month. So we were getting a lot of traffic and I, I knew what getting a lot of traffic was and I was not doing that. I was I'm not even close. I could tell you the names of everybody reading my website. <laughs> um, it was basically friends and family. Yeah. And I realized that this was kind of either a waste of my time or I need to think about why, you know, how could I turn this into something more? So I remember I went to a newsstand in Hong Kong I bought every travel magazine, mm -hmm. and I have no background in, in journalism or publishing or anything like that. And I sat down, and I opened up a spreadsheet, and I kind of did an analysis. Why do people buy travel magazines? Right. What's the incentive? So I counted like the number of times a country was editorially mentioned in, a, in each issue of a travel magazine. Mm -hmm. How What percentage of it was ads? How much of it was photography? Things like that. And what I discovered was it was really... Um, pornography. Okay. That people were buying these magazines. The average number of countries mentioned editorially was 35. Most people will never go to 35 countries in their life, let alone in a month. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the hotels they mentioned, most people, you know, 99.9% will never stay at a given hotel they mentioned mm -hmm. of, their, of their readers. So the reason they were doing it was kind of just, you know, they, they liked living vicariously. So I began taking it more seriously and I realized, okay, I don't think the, the industry is caught up with this yet, but if I just keep plowing ahead, keep growing my audience, keep doing good work, eventually things will pan out. And I didn't know what eventually was and I didn't know what pan out meant, but uh, it did kind of work out that eventually, you know, the, 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 the publishing industry is not doing very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, magazines and newspapers are closing, and 
it's the people like myself who have developed an audience online is where a lot of people uh, in the travel industry are now turning to. And that's kind of how it happened. Cool. So we could almost put hashtag travel porn behind. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think that's really interesting because I do a lot of my work as travel writing. And, and you're really, it's very true that most of the stuff that I write, most people don't go to a lot of these places, but they do enjoy learning and, and seeing and, 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 you know, understanding, hey, this is something that's out there. So for you, though, like, what do you, how do you label yourself? I don't know if you're a label guy, but if you have a business card, what does it say on your business card? Like, what's your occupation? I'll say blogger or photographer. I mean, the, the photography is what I'm best known for, but it's really, you know, it, it's a lot more than the blog. You know, I, I lately I've been joking that I could delete my blog and still make a living because I have a following mm. on other platforms like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, where that's where probably most people hear from me and, and see and see what I do. It's not necessarily on my website. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to delete my website. I think it would be a dumb idea. But um, it, it's really grown beyond that where it's just people follow what I do. They enjoy my photography. They ask me questions. And it's kind of a, uh, you know, an online influencer more than a blogger per se. Yeah, but I'm sure that uh, – sorry, Scott. But I'm sure that like a lot of the – like your income comes from like AdSense or AdWords or, you know, like tie-ins with uh, partnerships with who knows what different booking companies. Um Actually, I make zero dollars yeah? through advertising. Okay. I do it all through, uh, I don't make any money through, through AdSense. There's not a single AdSense anywhere in my site. I've never run AdSense. Um, I do it all through sponsorships. So it's endorsement deals with larger companies that transcend just, and then that's why I said it's not about the blog. If you just limit yourself to the blog, then you're stuck doing things like selling links and running ads. Whereas if you view yourself as an authority about travel, which I guess a lot of people consider me, considering how long I've been doing it, um, then you can start doing things like public speaking engagements, running tours, and doing things which really transcend the blog. Wow, very neat. So what kind of work uh, are you doing nowadays? I mean, it sounds like you have your hands in many pots, but for our listeners, can you tell us about some of the projects that you're, you're working on most? Well, right now I'm uh, working on a proposal for a book, okay. and hopefully uh, I'll get a publisher for that sometime in 2015. Great. I have a podcast I'm hoping to launch in February or March, and uh, then I hope to also launch a travel photography, an online travel photography training course uh, sometime uh, probably Q3 of 2015, and I think that'll be monetarily probably my biggest project sure so those are all things on the horizon but maybe say in the last two or three years like what are the paid things that are keeping you busy and keeping you on the road uh it's primarily been sponsorships so my primary sponsor for the last four years has been g adventures or the world's largest adventure travel company yeah um in addition to providing them content for their site. I've traveled to 25 different countries with them on six continents. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done speaking engagements with them on four different continents. So there's a lot that I do with them beyond just things online. And that's a good example of, of, of what I talk about in terms of trying to holistically monetize yourself and not just pigeon, pigeonholing yourself into your blog and your website. 
because I think that's really limiting. And there's so much more that that's possible if you look simply beyond the blog. Okay, so like now, now we know a little bit about what's motivated you and, and what you're working on on the road, but part of our focus here was how people can do this while they're traveling. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about like a typical work day or how you can get this work done on the road, what with, you know, internet connectivity issues and, and what, you know, having a laptop and, and how you can manage to, to share everything you're doing with the world while you're traveling the world. You know, it's very hard to have a typical day because you're always in a different place um, doing different things for example the last month I've been here I've been kind of relaxing uh, but a lot of times you know I'll wake up in the morning and maybe I'll go uh, explore for most of the day or I'll go take photos or maybe I'm at a conference so it's it really depends and likewise connectivity issues are really all over the place when I find a hotel for example that has a really good internet connection it's not uncommon for me to extend my stay an extra day or two just so I can get more work done. I can upload photos, I can catch up on TV shows, you know, on Hulu or Netflix or whatever. Um, and if I'm in a place with very poor internet, sometimes I will have to, uh, I have an assistant who lives in Texas and I'll have her, you know, I'll just say, could you post a photo for me today or post it on Facebook because I just can't do it. I just don't have the bandwidth, literal internet bandwidth to, to make it happen. Um, and it also depends where I am. You know, if I have a, a SIM card, then I'm able to do some things on my phone. Sometimes I can tether the phone to my laptop. Uh, when I was just in the UK for a couple weeks uh, last month, there's a fantastic deal to anyone who lands in Heathrow. There's literal SIM card vending machines. Wow. For 20 pounds, you get a month of unlimited data on three mobile. And that's also good in France and Ireland and a couple other countries. And you can tether your laptop to it. So 20 pounds, unlimited for a month, on your phone, and if necessary, even your laptop. And that's a fantastic deal. Um, so I was, you know, making good use of that, but that's not available in a lot of countries. And if you're traveling in someplace like the U.S. or Canada, getting a SIM card can actually be quite difficult. You know, something interesting that you said there was that you have an assistant who's not nomadic. Like, it's interesting that you, you would live a digital lifestyle and then your assistant is the person who stays in a, in a certain place and probably can take care of a lot of the maintenance of your website and, and whatnot. Uh, she travels quite a bit. Uh, her husband is a pilot, so she has the ability to uh, travel pretty extensively with very little cost. The thing is she has two young kids, so they go on a, a couple trips, but no, not nomadic. Um, I don't think that's, that's actually that uncommon. I think it's, it's good to have at least somebody as part of the mix who is not running around. And it's not just that I'm nomadic, but I travel way more than most other travel bloggers even. Uh, just to give you an example, Spain is the 40th country I've been to this year. Wow. So it's a lot of traveling and a lot of running yeah. around. And it's, it's, I think last year I stayed in 200 different hotels. Wow. in a 365 day period so yeah having having some sort of stability like that is very helpful so gary i mean we're living in times where it doesn't even take a decade for things to really change i mean year to year things are changing when i think back to 2007 just well seven eight years ago i mean connectivity and technology was a different world so how has technology really changed what you're able to do in the, in the time that you've been doing this? Oh, it's changed a lot. Just to give you an example, 
When I started traveling, I began traveling in the short window between when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone and when it was released. Mm -hmm. So when I started, there was no iPhone. There was no even Android smartphones, really. So that has been a huge change. I remember getting an iPhone Touch at the uh, Ginza uh, uh, Apple Store in Tokyo. And I just thought that was, you know, revolutionary. It, it, I was able to condense so many different gadgets that I was carrying. When I started traveling, I had a voice recorder, I had a camcorder, mm -hmm. I had a GPS, I had a Wi-Fi finder, if you can believe that, which is like a little dongle that would <laughs> have a light to tell you if there was a good Wi-Fi signal. Um, awesome. I had a point-and-shoot camera. I don't have any of that anymore. You don't need an alarm clock. I don't need... Uh, I used to buy books overseas and finding English language bookstores, I'm sure if you've tried, is difficult. And when you do find it, it's often expensive. Boom. Now that the Kindle's out and uh, I just bought an iPhone 6 Plus and quite frankly, I don't even know if I need the Kindle anymore because the phone's big enough where I can actually read on it. So a lot has changed um, and it's become easier and easier. Uh, bandwidth is still an issue in a lot of places, but it's getting better slowly. Um, and there are some places which are quite surprising. But even in 2007, when I started, I was shocked to see how many places I could find internet. I began with the assumption that, you know, especially going through the Pacific on some of these islands, maybe I would have an internet connection once every two weeks in a cafe. As it turned out, I had it mm -hmm. almost all the time. And it's been that way ever since, ever since I've been traveling. That's, that's really neat. I mean, obviously you have all kinds of experience up your sleeve and whatnot, but for the just average person that's looking to hit the road and document it a bit, is there kind of a single chunk of advice you could give people for how to kind of tackle it? Don't start a travel blog with the intent of making this your career or the way of making money. Just, just don't do it. Because, I mean, I have one of you know the larger uh, travel blogs and, and social media followings in the travel industry, and it took me the better part of a decade to do that. It took me you know, four or five years to really start making money. It is not something that if you, like I'm gonna go travel around the world for a year, you, it will contribute almost nothing to your ability to make money because until you've been traveling a while, until you have dozens of countries and several years under your belt, most people don't care. And that it, you know, developing a travel portfolio like that takes a lot of time. Yeah, you know, that's an, that's an interesting perspective just because, uh, you know, some of the other digital nomads that we, we considered having on as guests, a lot of them make their money by pitching these books about how, oh, you should quit your job and oh, how easy it is to like, you know, you know, you can be a digital nomad too. And, and I've even read some stories about backlash on that, that it's kind of a myth that it, it's so easy to do this. So it's cool to meet someone like yourself who has done it, but also someone who also is realistic about the, the difficulties and the challenges of making it your lifestyle. I have never written up, you won't find a single blog post anywhere on my site or anywhere where I've ever encouraged people to do this. I encourage people to travel. <laughs> you know, I think traveling is good. I think everybody <laughs> should travel more. Uh, I think the world would be a better place if, if people did that. But I am also aware that the majority of the population would not enjoy my lifestyle. You know, they, they like stability. They like having a home. Uh, it's not conducive <laughs> to having children. It's, um, it's not for most people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I'm not going to try to pitch people to do what I do 
I think they find the idea glamorous. The idea of travel in exotic places is glamorous. But quite sure. frankly, after a year of doing it, I think a lot of people would be exhausted and they'd say, screw it, I want to go home. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the reality of it. Well, Gary, one, one last kind of industry professional question before we get to a couple of fun ones to wrap it up. I mean, you've built this brand. You said it took you nearly a decade. Do you feel there's any kind of like threat or the dogs chomping at your heels? Like, do you actively have to work to stay ahead of the game? Uh, you know, I have to do stuff every single day. And that's not changed. I've posted, you know, at least a photo to my site every day now for... I think it's close to 2,600 consecutive days. Wow. So every day you're, you're doing something. But I don't think that it's competition necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not like some other blog. You know, there are, there are people out there with followings than me that are larger on different platforms. There are people that may have more traffic to their website because they, they do SEO better than I do, which is something I don't really care about. Um, but I don't think that's the point. Um, the, the travel and tourism industry is ridiculously big. I mean, I don't know, it's a $10 trillion global industry. It is one of the largest industries in the world, depending on how you define it, on a par with energy and agriculture. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to, just to give you an idea. So there's a lot of money there. There's a lot of people in the world who travel. The potential audience is ginormous. I mean, you know, it, it's most of the population of the earth who is at some point interested in travel and, and seeing other places. So I don't think that there's the, I'm not worried about competition. There's so much room for me to grow my website and for everyone else to do that. I don't. Yeah. Says the guy who recommends that people don't do this. And as a travel writer, not even traveling as much as you do, like you're singing to the choir. I I totally uh, feel your pain. Maybe not your pain, but saying that that it is challenging sometimes to live so much on the road. Um, Scott and I sometimes also talk about some of the challenges of being a a travel industry professional. Uh, There's a quote on your website that you were pretty worried for a while about some trip in Cambodia. And then Scott mentioned something earlier about something that happened in Kiribati. You want to share some of the the challenging times that you've had uh, on the road? Yeah. So I was in Cambodia in 2008, I think it was. And this was when Previere was named a world heritage site. And then, so Previere is a temple that's right on the border of uh, Thailand and Cambodia. It's about, uh, when I left, I went there from Siem Reap, and it was like a seven-hour motorbike ride at the time. There, you know, one way, and then seven hours back. Uh, extremely painful. I think it's, it screwed up my tailbone. It still bugs me to this day. And there was actual fighting going on. And I think I read in the news that there were two guys killed from a landmine a couple hours after I left the area. Um, and I, from, I also think that since then they've created a nice paved road for tourists to visit because uh, Cambodia was pretty determined to uh, solidify their claims to the temple. So that's one of the reasons they did it because the only paved road previously was on the Thai side of the border. And then in Kiribati, and it's actually pronounced Kiribati mm-hmm. even though it's spelled Kiribati. The T-I is pronounced Okay, like I was unaware of that. Yeah. It happens all the time. Um, yeah, I had a, uh, at the time, Americans needed a visa to enter the country. But if you were from a, a Commonwealth country like Canada or Australia, you didn't need a visa. So I contacted the Minister of Tourism, which sounds impressive, but it's a really small country. 
And he said, yeah, go to the embassy in, in Fiji, uh, fill out the paperwork, no problem. So I did that. And the visa, unlike most countries, is not a sticker they put in your passport, but rather it was a rubber stamp. And they filled out the dates with ballpoint pen. And prior to arriving in hmm. Kiribati, I was in the Solomon Islands and I got caught in the rain and my passport got wet and the ink from the ballpoint pen bled off the page. So when I arrived in Kiribati, they couldn't see the valid dates and they wouldn't let me in the country. And uh, I, I sent a really nasty letter to the Minister of Tourism. It turns out he forwarded the letter to the prime minister of the country. And three months later, Americans didn't need a visa to go to Kiribati anymore. Wow, that's awesome. And, and how frustrating. Yeah, so I haven't gone back, but uh, I, I certainly will at some point in the future. And I'd like to take advantage of my, uh, the visa-free status, I guess, in some way I helped create. Well done. Well, Gary, we really appreciate your time. We know you're super busy and uh, we've kept you away from some fun there in Spain. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing uh, some of your insight and wisdom with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Now we'll chat with Nal Doherty. He's an Irishman and he is a self professed disruptor of things who's dead set against the rabblement. Uh, the rabblement includes such things, according to his website, as watching TV regularly, eating lots of processed food, not reading actual books, working an unfulfilling job, buying lots of useless crap, not exercising regularly, obsessing about celebrities, lack of focus, not offending anyone. And that's a noble list, but I certainly do a few of those. Anyhow, in 2007, he left his native Ireland, lived in the U.S. for three years, returned home, then hit the road again in 2001 for Asia. Since then, he's been living, working on projects, and keeping himself busy outside of his native land. Today, he joins us from Colombia. Hey, how are we doing? So, where exactly in Colombia are you? I am in the north of Colombia in a place called Cartagena. But I, I just got here yesterday. I was in Medellin in Colombia for almost two months before this. Wow. Isn't that famous for uh, Pablo Escobar's old uh, hangout? Yeah. I actually met his brother while I was there. Oh, wow. Super cool. <laughs> Super cool. Well, we appreciate you uh, joining us. And actually, a big topic of this uh, episode is technology. And it's kind of neat that you know Trevor's in Bangkok, I'm in Kuala Lumpur, and here you are in Colombia, but it all all works. So um, where have you been since you hit the road again in 2011? Well, I've been through almost 30 countries at this point since I left home, since I left Ireland. And I'm, I'm trying to do a trip around the world without flying. So one complete circumnavigation mm -hmm. without taking any airplanes. Wow. Yeah, it's actually a really bad idea, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend it. But it's, it's definitely a, a more adventurous and more challenging way to travel, which is pretty much what I was looking for. Wow. And I know your last mode of transport, you, you went from Asia to South America. How did you do that? On a cargo ship uh, from wow. Japan to Peru. It was 26 days aboard a cargo ship, 33 crew and me the only passenger on there. Wow. Incredible. So before getting on that ship, you were based in uh, Southeast Asia, am I not right? Yeah. I was in Southeast Asia for over a year or thereabouts. Hmm. Okay, what parts were you here in Thailand mostly, or did you get to explore a bit? I was mostly in Thailand, but I did take some trips to Cambodia, Vietnam. I went up to Hong Kong for a couple of months, came back down through Laos, and passed through China, South Korea, and up to Japan to get the cargo ship. So is this strict, strictly like a holiday that you're on, or are you able to support yourself uh, along the way? 
Yeah, I wish it was a holiday. <laughs> I wish I could afford to just do nothing but the the fun stuff. But no, I, I work online as I travel. So it's kind of like I have a full-time job working for myself, but my office can be anywhere thanks to today's technology. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have listened to the uh, four-hour work week, and then I was mm. just listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast the other week where he had a guy on, I think it was, the book he wrote was Vagabond or something like that, mm-hmm. and I always have a tough time wrapping my head around, like, what exact kind of work can you actually do to make real money while you're on the road? Like, what actually keeps you afloat? What kind of work are you up to now? Well, for me personally, it's freelance web design and development. And that's what I worked professionally as back okay. in the US and in Ireland for a few years. So I was kind of lucky in that I had a skill that I could use to freelance online. But, you know, I, I have a lot of friends and uh, acquaintances that work online as well. And they do anything from freelance writing to managing Google AdWords accounts for companies to uh, project management. Hmm. Um, just web design without doing any coding. Uh, I met a girl in, in Thailand, a French girl who was a voiceover artist. So she did mm. she did French mm. and English voiceovers remotely. And apparently the roosters in uh, Thailand didn't do her any favors. She had to constantly <laughs> re-record her tracks because there was always roosters in the background. I believe it, huh? Now, how has technology, say, in the last decade allowed you to even do what you're doing like i mean could you have done this in the late no i i don't think so um well obviously the nature of your work is is digital in in and of itself right like your job is to to create you know web pages yeah so yeah that job didn't even exist well that and just that you would have been very limited of where you could go uh, because internet access was just was just not as uh, widespread as it is now, especially fast and reliable internet access. People are, are traveling the region. Like, obviously, internet's getting better all the time and hotels and stuff. But uh, we there's a lot of shared workspaces popping up. Now, I understand you use these on a couple occasions. And, and if so, why did you end up at them? And what was your experience? Yeah, those, those are great. And I hope to right. see more and more of them uh, crop up in different parts of the world. It's it's good for one thing because they're they're going to have pretty much the fastest internet in town, so you know you can get a reliable connection there and get some good work done. Um, but on top of that, they you're also going to meet a lot of cool entrepreneurial people um, that are hanging out there, and I think that's one of the things that's lacking when you work remotely and travel a lot is you don't really have a sense of community. So being able to meet up with uh, like-minded people like that and just knowing exactly where they're going to be hanging out is pretty cool. Hmm, hmm, very neat. So what are some of the, the key tools? Like if somebody, I mean, they, they're listening to this and they think, oh, wow, I'd really love to be able to just take my myself on the road for a number of years. So what are some of the main sites or the main tools or things that you found really handy to employ to make it just a possibility? Yeah, perhaps first and foremost is, is Skype. Um, so I, I rarely meet any of my clients in person, but through Skype video chat, you know, we're able to really hash out what they're looking for that way and uh, have virtual meetings and mm-hmm. build a sense of trust as well, you know, which is hard to do just by email. So mm-hmm. Skype is definitely way up there. Um, okay. I use Google Drive a lot. 
and and Gmail okay. a lot. So I, I try not to store much on my computer. So I try and keep okay. everything in the cloud. So I don't I don't okay. use like uh, Microsoft Word or Open Office or anything like that with documents on my computer. I just put everything in Google Docs, and then all my emails are stored online as well. So you know when you're traveling, you're at more of a risk of something bad happening to your stuff. <laughs> so if my laptop okay. was to uh, was to get stolen or if it broke somehow, then you know it's not the end of the world because I don't really lose any data. I can just go to an internet cafe if I have to, and I'm right back online with all my stuff and everything I need. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because years ago, uh, before the cloud, I had my computer stolen while I was in Cambodia. And I was fortunate that I had just backed up everything before mm. that. But but the cloud, I agree, would probably be a really great resource for people who are working nomadically now. So I can imagine if you are in a, a new spot, part of the world, super exotic, there's no end of opportunities for things to do and disruption. So how do you actually kind of manage a proper schedule now? It's a constant challenge, to be honest. Um, I, I kind of, you kind of have a different type of balance. Your days aren't really balanced, but maybe your, your months are. And what I mean by that is you might have a week where you don't really do any work and you're just off doing a lot of fun stuff and then you might have a week mm -hmm. where you're doing almost mm -hmm. nothing but work because suddenly you have reliable internet access and you know your work has piled up the previous week so you just need to knuckle down and get it done and that can you know i say a week here a week there but it can actually be a couple of months sometimes like when i traveled up from rio de janeiro to uh medellin overland that took me between six weeks and two months, I think. And I didn't really do much work there uh, those during that stretch. But then when I got to Medellin, it was almost two months of you know, uh, office hours, really, of nine to five pretty much mm, every day, trying to get a lot of work done, build up a bit of uh, some funds so I can take a few weeks off now as I go through Central America. Yeah, two months straight of working nine to five. That 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 sounds like a real challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it is, especially when when there's so many cool things to see and do in this in a new city or a new place. That's that's the real challenge. Is kind of uh, uh, what's the word? Motivating yourself, maybe. Motivating yourself and um, not eating the marshmallow. What what is it they call that 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 famous yeah. study that they they said uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, postponing yeah, yeah. Right. yeah postponing uh, gratification yeah. delayed yeah. gratification yeah if you can wait and get your stuff done then you can go out and enjoy more I know how that feels yeah so you've obviously tried to to work and travel in an awful lot of parts of the world what's been say one of the the best or easiest places to get work done while traveling and having fun and what's been sort of one of the toughest spots? One of the easiest is definitely Thailand. Um, cost of living is, is pretty low there, and they okay. have really good, fast internet. Um, okay. Parts of Eastern Europe are amazing, too. I think Romania has one of the fastest internet connections in the world. And I, mm. was, I was trapped there for three weeks uh, in the coldest winter they'd had in 60 years. 
but wasn't a bad place to be stuck really because they have great infrastructure um at least online infrastructure their trains and buses weren't doing too good and then i'd say one some of the worst would be uh iran was tough um i passed through there on my way to india and my own website was blocked there for some reason so and, and their internet connection is not that fast you can't get on youtube there's a bunch of websites that won't work there china is a similar story um here in south america bolivia is probably the worst i've been to in terms of trying to find reliable internet access it's just very very slow there those are probably good tips though and good things to know because uh i mean i i only really travel to destinations that that i'm sent to but if people were just to be like hey you know i'm gonna try and do some more of my work on the road you don't want to end up somewhere with a deadline looming and and not be able to to get online yeah yeah well a couple of tips I, I offer people is first of all just google around and you'll you'll be able to find like average internet speeds per country so wherever you're planning on going you'll be able to get a sense of what to expect there there's actually a a, a pretty new website called nomadlist.io that actually ranks the best cities in the world to live and work remotely and they have such things as cost of living, internet speed, what the weather is like. Um, it's it's pretty useful to see at a glance what are like the top, I think top 50 or so cities around the world to live and work remotely. Um, Very cool. cool. Yeah, and then on top of that, what I always do if I'm going to be staying in a hostel or a hotel, um, I'll usually book through, there's a few different websites, uh, Airbnb, um, hostel bookers I use, or just hostile world, I always get those two mixed up, and uh, Agoda. Um, and the, the hotel I'm staying at in, in Cartagena here, I mean, I needed to get a lot of work done these few days here, so I wanted to make sure they'd have fast internet. So what I would do is go into the reviews section on whatever website you're booking through and see the reviews for that hotel and just search the page for the words Wi-Fi or internet. And if the internet is terrible, someone's going to have complained about it. Someone's going to have written a review about it. Hmm. So uh, if, if there's nothing, no mention of the internet, it's probably okay. But if you want to be really safe, you want to try and find a couple of reviews where they're saying that the internet was fantastic or very fast or reliable, whatever, whatever it is. So, so this hotel in Cartagena had like three people commenting on how good the internet was. So that was me sold. Wow. That's pretty neat Clever. that that is now kind of a selling feature on, on where you stay. It doesn't matter about the mini bar or the great breakfast or the swimming pool. It's it's just the internet. <laughs> so, so uh, Niall, I, I know I've read on your, your site that you're, you're looking forward to making your way back to America here in February. You've been on the road since 2011. Can you quickly run us through what's next on your travel itinerary and then What's the plan? How do you settle back into a quote-unquote normal life when you get back to Ireland? I hope I don't settle back into a normal life. That sounds really boring for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, But the, the next next up on the, the travel itinerary is eight countries in eight weeks or thereabouts. So I want to be in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And to get there, I'm going to have to go all the way through Central America. Um so I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to manage that yet. I, the first leg of that trip is getting on a sailboat for five days between 
Colombia and Panama because there's no there's no safe overland route uh, between those two countries, which is kind of mm-hmm. kind of crazy in this day and age. Um, but then, yeah, I'll, I'll have a couple of months or th- three months in North America, and then I'm getting a cruise ship across the Atlantic back to Europe, and that will be the the end of the trip once I get back to Ireland. But the plan after that is to go and live in Amsterdam for at least a year. Uh, so I am, okay. I am really starting to appreciate the benefits of staying in one place for a while. <laughs> so after not being in any one place for more than, I think, mm. five months uh, since 2010 now, um, I'm really looking forward to being in, in one place wow. and, and kind of knowing you know, where the, the local hotspots are and the, the good restaurants and the nice coffee shops and building a, a social circle that I don't have to say goodbye to <laughs> a few weeks later. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Wow, very cool. Well, Niall, uh, we really appreciate you joining us from Columbia today. And uh, how can people learn more about you and keep up with what you're doing and where you are? Uh, they can check out my website. Uh, that's ndoherty.com. Uh, the website, as you mentioned at the start okay. there, is called Disrupting the Rabblement. And I have a travel section on there. Um, and if people want to jump on the mailing list, I have about 15 um, me- message email series, which goes through basically all the best tips I have for how to uh, live the travel lifestyle. Great. Well, thanks so much. Now we'll put uh, those relevant addresses in the show notes at the end. Enjoy the rest of your time in Colombia. Good luck getting uh, to North America. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Trevor. Yeah, safe travels and uh, good luck finding not only good internet connections, but a good laundry service along the way, too. Oh, I need to do that tomorrow. It'll be a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. All right, take care. Wow, two really interesting guests doing very different things, but both traveling the world and working remotely. Yeah, they sure are. I mean, uh, when we approached them to be on the podcast, I think we didn't really give a lot of thought to exactly how different what they're doing in the scope of doing it all over the planet really was. And I mean, when I listen back to the interview with Niall, I mean, here's a guy that's just employing the fact that technology is his friend doing web-based projects. He could be sitting at home doing them. He could be sitting in Southeast Asia, New York City, pick your spot. But he's just using technology to his advantage to do a job that's not related to travel. Yeah, I think he's more representative of the trend of this new economy we live in where there's young people that can work freelance or have the ability to utilize technology and can do it from anywhere in the world. Yeah, you know, and I think in another decade, it actually might not be a big deal at all to meet people who anywhere in the world and they're like oh yeah i'm doing this project for this company on the other side of the world that could be entirely commonplace and that people might actually not really identify with being a person from a particular city or whatnot you just you work in certain industries obviously that lend themselves to it but you just might be a person that 
chooses to work here for a while and then you choose to work there and yeah i'll bet in a decade it's just not that big a deal. yeah but in niall's instance which i thought was pretty cool is although he can work from anywhere he's actually on like kind of a separate travel mission where while he has the ability to travel while working he has a specific travel agenda and how he wants to explore the world and where he wants to go and, and what he wants to accomplish as a traveler independent of his work yeah i mean that was super slick and evident i met him before this podcast uh virtually when he was in thailand and he's like oh i'm gonna catch a boat over to peru i was like whoa and then of course as we talked about with our interview with him is now he's heading to the u.s and then he's going to make his way home so part of his whole mandate at the same time is he kind of has a return date in mind and he's going to get there without flying so it's kind of neat is that he's yeah he's got this travel mission and then he just finds ways to get jobs that he can do remotely and can do while he's on the road. Versus Gary, who, he, he's all about travel. Yeah, Gary's like a, a true nomad. He kind of even caught me off guard because I was like, oh, so, you know, where's your home base? And and he's like, I, you know, I'm, he doesn't have a home base. He's, he's a literally true digital nomad. Yeah, absolutely. A nomad entirely. And that traveling is his life and it's his career. And he does his career while he's on the road and he seems to have no intentions to go home and in fact he would kind of have to reinvent himself and it sounds like he's preparing a few businesses in 2015 that would maybe allow him should he ever choose to not stay on the road to you know maybe actually stay somewhere for a while and and have other businesses because at the moment it seems if if he stops moving his his career sort of stops at the same time. Yeah, and, and you know, it's really cool. I, I liked what Gary said. That, like, his job is the dream of many, but like he said, it, it's not really realistic. Like, what he does is very different from what Niall does because, you know, lots of people can take their show on the road, but not a lot of people, I don't think, can live the show on the road. Yeah, I, I think his, his comments were great, and I've heard them before. I mean, I've talked to you a lot about how you actually research, write, and put together a guidebook. I've talked to a few other guidebook writers, and it's it's not really glamorous at all. And just people have this idea that every day, I mean, you just wake up and you jump in the crystal clear waters. But what they don't think about is, like, maybe the shitty room you were staying in or, like, you're, it's not like you have an assistant that's writing the posts for you and you got to do the photography stuff. And, I mean, it's just not as glamorous as you, as you might imagine. And I think it wears thin, too. A lot of people go on just a two-week trip, including myself. I went to Italy last month, and I was pretty happy to come home after two weeks. Like, he's on the road all the time, and he literally does not have a place to come home and enjoy his own bed and his own toilet. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. I, I know, and I, and I don't travel nearly as much as he does. Uh, but anyway, I am on the road and I do have things to go. So as we sign off here, I want to thank again our sponsor, CM Reup Dirt Bikes. And you can check them out online, cmreupdirtbikes.com, or check out our show notes for links to all the different things that we talked about today. Yeah, so thank you for joining us on this extra long uh, episode of Talk Travel Asia. We'll be back in two weeks for a new episode. So from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, this is Scott Coates saying thank you for joining us. And Trevor Ranges and Sam Reup, uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Everest?